people have commented about the suit code already. I figure half the battle is looking the part um, of, the, of the preacher. If, if, if nothing I say makes any sense, that's okay. I, look, I, I tried to look the preacher part this morning. Uh, I'll also let you know I'm going through that cold cough thing that people have. So if I, if I have to cough, I'll try to do it away from the microphone. You know, you teach kids like how to like, cough into their sleeve and stuff. And then it's funny because Taylor is the first one to keep reminding me when I don't do it right. So he'll, you know, if I'm coughing, he'll be like, Daddy, cough into your sleeve, cough into your elbow. So, um, so I'll try to remember that and not you know, blare, blare a few coughs over the microphone this morning. Um, you know, I really like this season of Advent. And uh, you know, sometimes we fail to see the distinction between Advent and Christmas, but there really is two different seasons. You know, historically, the church has celebrated Advent as the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And it's the time that we prepare our hearts for the Lord's coming. Advent simply means coming. And we're preparing our hearts for the Lord's coming, but not just the Lord's coming as a baby, those, you know, couple thousand years ago, but the Lord's eventual return um, when he comes to set everything right. We sing the songs about, you know, him coming to remove the curse as far as it is found. And so we look forward and long for the time that Jesus is going to come and return and set everything right and his kingdom will come to reign in fullness. Um, and so, you know, at Christmas time, we get to celebrate. It's this joyful time where we celebrate Jesus came. He's here and the joy that we find in him and how he did bring his kingdom, um, if only in part. Uh, but, you know, Advent is this great season um, that teaches us to long for, for more. And, uh, and what I've been drawn to this morning and these last few weeks to, to speak to you about is a theme that is closely related to that longing of Advent. Um, but before I get into that, you know, you, a lot of you were probably here last week when you heard um, Herb Bailey give us a word about seeing Jesus at Advent. Um, and he actually, he's not, oh, there he is. Okay. I was, I was going to pick on you a little bit this morning because, you know, Herb, these are his words, not mine. He described Jesus as ugly. Okay, so if you if you need if you need some clarification, you know, you can see Herb. I was you know I was a little caught off guard there because I thought we worshipped a handsome savior. Um, but no, seriously, if uh, if you want to, if you, it was a, it was a good message about you know would we see Jesus? Um, but I was talking to him the week prior, saying you know. This is probably one of the greatest height differences in Sunday morning speakers at Crestmont. And I said, I don't know if we've kept record books or anything, if anybody has that. You know, you're six, seven, right? Okay, I'm probably five. I like to say five, nine, but I'm probably more like five, eight on a good day. So, you know, almost a foot there. And, uh, and you know, height isn't the only difference we have. You may, you may see some other differences, but... One of those is Herb is very well tatted up, and, and I don't have any body ink to speak of, you know? Okay, so I was thinking about, the, there's a reason I'm, I'm talking about tattoos here, okay? Just <laughs> bear with me for a second. Um, you know, I thought about it before because most people in my generation who are, like, I find myself as a worship leader and a youth pastor right now. Most people in my generation have to have their favorite Greek or Hebrew word tattooed somewhere on their body to make them seem more spiritual. I don't know if you, if you guys have ever, have ever seen that. But, you know, I've contemplated this idea of getting a tattoo before, but I've never bit the bullet and actually done it. But for me personally, 
A tattoo would be about meaning, okay? So I'm not, I'm less of an artist, so I don't, I, sadly enough, it's like art for art's sake isn't exactly my thing all the time. But for me, it's about meaning. Like when I write songs, it's about like the lyrics of the song and what the, what the meaning is that comes out. And so as I've considered, you know, a tattoo before, it's, it's always, I've always thought it's got to be something that would be full of meaning and, and a reminder for me um, of something that, you know, maybe I already know, but I often forget. And that's what I want to preach to you about today. It's actually one of the things, if I were to get a tattoo, I, I, might, I might get this, but yeah, I don't know. So anyway, so, it, it, but I want to say this morning, this isn't really like going to come at you as, as something novel and new you've never heard of before, but what I think it is, is a reminder of who we are. And I think there's power in those things reminding us of who we are um, because I, I think that's often what the writers of the Bible are doing. That's often what the early church did as they formed these creeds that they would say together because half the battle is, as, as followers of Jesus is believing what is actually true about us. That if we could get the information from our heads down to our hearts, the living out of the truths would become so much more natural. And so for me, one of those reminders um, that I've contemplated before having inked on my body is this word sojourner, okay? So as followers of Jesus, we are sojourners on this earth, and this world is not our home. So depending on what Bible you're reading, and sorry, I'm going to be a little topical here. There's going to be a ton of scripture on the screen, so you can sword drill it or you can follow us along. I'm not taking this from a particular um, one passage. We're going to be jumping around a little bit. But anyway, depending on what Bible you're reading, the word sojourner is sometimes translated foreigner, pilgrim, immigrant, resident alien, or stranger. And believe it or not, this theme comes up all throughout the Bible. I was going to say some corny joke this morning about how I do believe in aliens, because we're all aliens, but, I'm, but I didn't, but I did. Um, so <clears throat> the sojourner, you say, so what is a sojourner? A sojourner is a temporary resident. They realize that the place they find themselves is not their permanent home. So as we get into what this means for us, I first want to walk through the Bible and look at this concept together. So you guys have heard of the patriarchs. These, when we say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these are the fathers of the people of God. They all identified themselves throughout Scripture as sojourners, and very practically, actually, because they were actually living in lands that weren't the lands that they were born in. So let's look at some of these scriptures. In Genesis 17, verse 8, this is talking about Abraham, and God is speaking to Abraham in his original covenant with him. He says, I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So some of you know God called Abraham to leave his home and to sojourn into a land that wasn't his own, and God was saying he was going to give him that land. Next um, in line is Isaac, Genesis 26. So Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. Next in line, we find Jacob. And Jacob in Genesis 28.4 says this, May he also give you the blessing. Oh, this is actually Jacob, I mean Isaac blessing Jacob. So he's passing this on to him. May, May he also give you the blessing of Abraham, 
to you and to your descendants with you, that you may possess the land of your sojournings, which God gave to Abraham. Then a little bit later, we see this in the life of Moses. Moses in Exodus 2, he actually names his son because of this fact. Moses was willing to dwell with a man, and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses. Then she gave birth to a son, and he named him Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. So common enough that you know, Moses identified enough with this that he names his own son after this idea. You find this theme all throughout the story of the Hebrew people as they left Egypt and journeyed through the wilderness toward the promised land. They're an entire group, a people group of sojourners looking forward to the promised land while they're still in another land traveling through. Leviticus 25, 23 says, The land, moreover, shall not... This is God giving you know, the law to his people, and he says this to them, The land, moreover, shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine, for you are but aliens and sojourners with me. So even... What I find interesting is even after they make it to the promised land and, you know, they're enjoying the kingdom, this is a prayer coming from David in 1 Chronicles. Uh, David says uh, this in 1 Chronicles 29, 15, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you and from your hand we have given you, for we are sojourners before you. And tenants, as all our fathers were, our days on the earth are like a shadow. So David realizes this. Even after they've made it to the promised land and are enjoying this kingdom that God has given them, he realizes that they still, this isn't their ultimate home. There's still temporary residence here um, in, in this world. And um, I was just talking to Rich uh, Collins. As he asked me you know, what I was speaking about. And Rich said, you know, he was just reading this week how if you look through the law of, of uh, God coming down through Moses, there's all these provisions set up for the sojourner. It's really interesting. This isn't what I'm talking about today, but it really should affect how we feel about those who are sojourning or immigrants or refugees. It should, there's, there's passages in, um, in the law that, that God is reminding the people, you also were strangers and sojourners, so you should treat the sojourner and the stranger differently. So really powerful stuff. But I just want to point out all through the Old Testament, this is the idea that God's people are on a journey, that this isn't their home and that they have not yet realized, you know, their ultimate home. Now, many of you have probably seen the Jesus storybook Bible. It's the Bible we pass out to families when um, kids or uh, babies are dedicated here in the church. And uh, I think we've even talked about it here. But the thing that I love about that Bible um, is that Sally Lloyd-Jones, the author, ends each Old Testament story by cluing us into how the story points to Jesus and his coming. And that's exactly what we have here in this story um, uh, of, of sojourning through the Bible. Because with that Old Testament backdrop and all the people who saw themselves as sojourners, we see Jesus come as the ultimate sojourner. So Jesus came as the fulfillment of this sojourning. So first he leaves his permanent home, comes, comes to earth, knows that he's here for, you know, a mission of some, you know, I, you know, I have no idea if God knew the amount of years, but he knew that he was here for a temporary time before eventually he would return to his rightful place at God's right hand. And as we look at the life of Jesus, we see this mindset 
come up, you know, several times and in a few different ways. I want to point out a few verses um, uh, looking at the life of Jesus. So in John 6, uh, verse 38, he says this, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus is identifying, you know, I've come from somewhere else. And in the next verse, we're going to see he knows he's going somewhere else. So John 14, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus has this mind in him, that he's come from somewhere else, he's going somewhere else, this life is just temporary. Luke 9, verse 58 um, kind of puts it, you know, in, in very plain English. Jesus said to him, this is Jesus talking to those who want to come after him and follow him. And Jesus says, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Okay, so Jesus has embraced this idea that, this, that, that he's, not, he's not stacking up the things on this world. He's holding very loosely to them. Uh, come, uh, then we get to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this isn't chronological, but Matthew 6. Obviously, this is what Jesus is talking about here. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So Jesus has this mind in him. And it makes sense as we continue through uh, the, the, the Bible that those who came after him did too. You look at the writings of Paul, and Paul is full of this kind of talk. You know, several times Paul uses the analogy of finishing the race. And it's the same idea of this temporary journey on the earth with an end in sight. He says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I, I have kept the faith. And you look into the writer of Hebrews, when the, uh, you, some people call Hebrews 11 the hall of fame of faith, and they're going through all these saints of old who have, you know, believed the Lord and acted on their faith, and uh, he writes uh, in that, this passage, um, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. So we see that these people were able to live by faith and able to endure persecution and all kinds of things because they realized that this wasn't it. Peter refers to believers as sojourners in exiles as well in his letter to the church, describing how we should abstain from worldly things. 1 Peter 2 uh, verse 11 says... Nope, it's not up there. All right, so I forgot to put that one in. So he reminds the believers, he calls them, that's, that's kind of how he addresses the believers. You guys are sojourners and exiles. I, could, I brought a Bible in case I, in case I forgot things. Um, so 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says this. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. So, all throughout the scripture, and we've gone Old Testament through the life of Jesus and to the apostles, you see the Bible is chock full with this concept of sojourning. It's as if this should be one of the major lenses through which believers see themselves in the world. We are not home. We're simply passing through. And this concept goes hand in hand with this Advent longing 
that I discussed earlier. We long for Jesus because we were not made for this. We were made for another world, for another kingdom. Our hearts should not feel at home here. On the contrary, we are aching for things to be made right and for the day when we'll have complete communion once again with our Creator. So if you get nothing else from me this morning, get that, that we were not made for this world. This is not our home. I want to look this uh, this passage from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 through 8, really just spells it out, this longing that Paul has um, about this temporary place. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul is aching for this in this passage. He's saying, you know, if I have to stay here, for me to live is Christ. That's what the song we sang sung. If I have to stay here, I'm going to do the work of the Father and I'm going to keep on. But I groan for that time when this will be swallowed up with a heavenly, with a heavenly dwelling, um, with an eternal body. Now, this idea has probably too many implications for us to discuss today, but I want to break it down this way. If we realize that this world is not our home, that we were made for a greater kingdom, at least two things should be true. First, some stuff just won't matter anymore. And second, the important stuff gets even more important. So first of all, some stuff just doesn't matter anymore. You like those descriptors? I, um, I probably should think of better nouns than stuff. But some stuff just doesn't matter anymore. Look at James 4, verse 14. James reminds us why, <clears throat> James reminds us that life is fleeting. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Some of you have maybe seen this illustration before. Um, I, I stole it from Francis Chan, who probably stole it from somebody else. Mary, would you help me this morning? Here we go. All right, cool. Thanks, Jenny Robinson, for the paracord. I was, I was, gonna, I was just going to describe it, but, but Jenny had like 50-foot cord in her house. So, all right, yeah, you can drop it. You can drop it. Thank you very much. All right, so this almost stretches all the way to the back of the sanctuary. So... This rope here, if you've ever seen this illustration, this rope represents, you know, uh, our eternity um, with the Lord, okay? So it's pretty long rope. Oh, sorry. Things are going to last. Things are going to last a long time. Eternity is a really long time. I was sitting with Galfua thinking about this yesterday. I can never fathom eternity. It, it, it boggles my mind. I have no idea how it, what it's going to be like. But anyway, it's going to be a long time. So this little blue part, if you can see that, it represents our time here on earth, okay? So if this rope were our eternity, this little tiny itty-bitty little part is our time here on earth. And um, 
and what Francis points out is, you know, so many of us live so much with just this in mind, um, and we forget that the whole thing is what's going to be going on forever and ever and ever, and, and our plans are, what happens here determines what happens for the rest of everything, but so often our plans are just about the, the, these four inches. And he even points out, you know, so many of us work and work and work and work until we get to this part so we can rest and enjoy that for a while, but then we forget we have all this, this other time to, to enjoy and be in eternity with Jesus. Um, so uh, this isn't... You know, this right here isn't the, the, uh, the mindset of the sojourner. The entire length of it is. Um, if I were to ask you to, uh, to think about your week and to make two lists, okay? And on the, and on the one side, the list would be things that, things that were of eternal significance this week in my life. And on the other side, things that didn't have any eternal significance. What would your lists look like? Um, what, it's, it's good sometimes to take inventory, um, and I, I have to do this myself. What is my life um, counting for, and, uh, and am I using it for things of eternal value? As I thought about this, I was reminded of the word petty. The dictionary definition of petty is this, of little importance, trivial. As a sojourner, when we realize that this whole thing is in view, so many things simply become petty, and there's no time for the sojourner to be petty. So, on the one hand, for the sojourner, some stuff doesn't matter anymore. But on the contrary, some things become of ultimate importance. And for this, I want to look back at Jesus, and I want to look at his life. Because when I look at the life of Jesus as our ultimate sojourner, the ultimate example, I see two things that pop to the surface about his life as a sojourner. First of all, and these are just broad, you know, sweeping things. I'm sure you could pull out some other things. But first of all, it seems to me that the life of Jesus was all about bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. It was as if if he couldn't be there, if he had to be here, if he was stuck here with us, he at least wanted to experience a little bit of heaven where he was. Can you imagine like Jesus had Jesus had been in heaven. He had he had like experienced the perfect picture of what life was supposed to be like. And then he came down here and he lived among us and he was, you know, privy to all this pain and, you know, angst and imperfection. And for Jesus, he wanted, it seems to me like all he wanted to do was bring what he had experienced in heaven down to earth with him if, if he had to be here, you know. So as sojourners, this is the really hopeful part because all this Advent longing we're talking about, we don't have to sit on our hands and just wait till Jesus comes again. You know, we get to be a part of doing what Jesus did of bringing this kingdom to earth. So I love this verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. <clears throat> the writer says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So he says, in relation to this world, the whole, the whole Bible says, in relation to this world, you may be sojourners here. You are. But 
we are no longer foreigners and strangers as a people of God because we have our citizenship in heaven with God's people. It's like Jesus has, has redeemed all, it's like he's redeemed all of us and given us a new citizenship um, that we are able to start working towards here on earth. So we don't have to wait uh, for Christ's coming to experience this. And that's good news. That's good news for us today. So, you know, a quick glance at the life of Jesus, and you see that because he knew his life was brief and that this world wasn't his home, he spent all his time on mission. Okay? He was teaching, training disciples, healing people, casting out demons, and on and on. Now, he's given us a commission, the Great Commission. You know the one. It says, go ye in all the world and make disciples. Now, I've heard it said that the go part should be translated as you go. And this is probably true. But the other thing I've noticed is that the as-you-go method quickly becomes the as-I-get-busier-and-busier-with-the-stuff-of-earth mission and God's kingdom gets pushed further and further to the edges method. And that's not a very good method. Life is busy. And unless the mission of the kingdom is a priority, it will often find itself on the outskirts of our lives. So we better be able to identify where and to whom we are bringing the kingdom or else you will lose sight of it. You know, oftentimes it's practicing this stuff in really intentional ways with other people that it helps us to do it on our own in our normal day, all throughout the day to the people that we meet on our street, on our, uh, in our workplaces, and all of that. It's practicing that bringing the kingdom that enables us to be like Jesus who brought the kingdom everywhere he went. Um, and and that's, how, you know, that's how we should be as well. So the first important thing I see is that Jesus brings the kingdom. The second thing I notice about Jesus with this mindset of a sojourner is that he's always sneaking out to be with his father, okay? This is another thing. Jesus had experienced perfect communion with God in heaven. And then when he had to leave that, it was like he didn't want to leave that, you know? It was like he still wanted it. And so you see Jesus over and over slipping away to spend all night with his father um, or praying in the garden or whatever the story, you know, you know the one. Jesus was always looking for that communion with his father. And that's how our hearts should be as well. It's because where we find true fulfillment <clears throat> is in this place of communion with our father because that's our ultimate home. You know, Christmas is a time when we naturally begin to think about home and about family. Now, some of us may honestly be dreading that because it hasn't been the best experience for us. Um, sometimes home uh, has been painful, but often home is, especially around the holiday celebrations, we think fondly of this ideal picture of, you know, the family around the tree and, and the fire and going to the Christmas Eve service. And all this is well and good, because I think God intended this to be a picture of his kingdom on the earth. But it also should be a reminder that as good as our family and holiday celebrations are, the celebration in heaven with the whole family of God is what we are made for. So no matter where you're coming from this morning, whether that experience has been positive or painful, it's good news to know that we have a heavenly home and a heavenly family and a heavenly celebration that's going to be literally out of this world. That's a pun, but it's not really. But 
Um, and arriving at that home will be the most satisfying and fulfilling moment of our lives. So for me this morning, I realize that I'm preaching to the heart. And that's not easy for me because if you know me, I'm not a very emotional guy. Sorry, Gelfour. She's sitting up there this morning. But sometimes that's like Jim, Jim was talking the other day about how sometimes he's feeling the full emotion, but what comes out is just like this. You know, sometimes that's me too. Like, I'm so steady that I can't, you know, show any emotion. So it's hard for me to preach to the heart. But when it comes to spiritual things, so often I just want to fix behaviors. But those are like the symptoms of the illness. And a good doctor treats the illness itself and not just the symptoms. So I realize that I'm preaching to myself today because I often look at my life and wish my actions matched what I knew to be true that I lived every day with a longing for Jesus and my eternal home as though this day could be my last and that this life really is temporary. But so many times that isn't the case. And that's, what, that's why what has to change is our hearts. Longing is something that has to be practiced. I think that's why the church put it into the season of the church uh, was because this is something we have to practice over and over. Naturally, our Flesh returns to the status quo. Uh, and so it's, it's always a reminder to keep reminding ourselves of what we know to be true. This is why the Bible referred, <clears throat> the writers of the Bible referred to themselves as sojourners and strangers. It's why Paul says we have to live by faith and not by sight because it's hard to remember that what we see with our eyes isn't as real as what we can't see. It's the practice of renewing our minds that Paul talked about so that we don't conform to the image of this world. <clears throat> it's a constant reminder of who we are so that we can live that way in our everyday life. We aren't the, the main thing here is we aren't supposed to look just like everyone else. We're supposed to be different. We, we know the end of the story and we know that this isn't all there is. You put us in a lineup with a group of our unbelieving neighbors and there should be differences in our lives because we know that we're not made for this world. It's interesting, in, in the passage where I read earlier from Paul longing for the eternal home, he goes on to say, if I'm out of mind, it's, it's for Christ. It's because Paul probably looked a little bit ridiculous sometimes to people, and that's because he knew that this life wasn't it. I have a friend um, that I grew up with, with in Texas. His name was Chris. When we were young, there were three of us that were pretty inseparable. Um, I moved away when I was 17, but we kept touch for several years. We were, we were married a few months apart, and uh, we were in each other's weddings, um, and we got to share in that. And, you know, over the years, we, uh, we've got to keep up. We've, got, we've gotten to be able to keep up on social media a little bit and see what's going on. Well, about two years ago now, his wife was diagnosed with cancer. Um, this was something that uh, was highly genetic. Uh, her father had it, and uh, they knew that it might uh, come for her as well. And, um, and I don't think they anticipated it being you know, this early on in his life. Um, you can imagine how knowledge like that could change your perspective on life, as I'm sure it did for them. So this past summer, um, his wife passed away uh, in June, and he was left a widower at the age of 32 with uh, two small kids. And I know it's been an incredibly sad time for him. We've reached out a couple times online. 
Um, but even from afar, what was extremely evident was the strength and witness that God gave him and his wife in their final days, in her final days. As she was finishing her race, some of her last words to Chris, my friend, that have now continued to live on after her were this, run to Jesus, he's all that matters. So what I want, what I want to, to do this morning is basically remind us that life is brief. The writers of the Bible knew that, and Jesus lived it. And because of this, because we're longing for a better place, another kingdom, we're longing for Jesus to come and make everything right, there are just some things that don't matter. But what does matter, Jesus and his kingdom, matter so much more. And my prayer this morning is that the Lord would plant that in our hearts, that we would begin to practice that. Um, because I don't know of any other way. It's often, it's often for me just trying to remind myself and looking at the way that I live. Is my life being lived for more than just these you know, few years that we have on earth? Are the things that I'm doing going to matter in eternity? Um, it, does, you know, we talked about the Jesus Storybook Bible, how the Old Testament stories all point to Jesus, they're all pictures of Jesus and the fulfillment that he brought. Well, now our lives are supposed to point back to Jesus. Um, and our lives are supposed to be little examples of this. And Jesus, as I thought about it this Advent, Jesus was the ultimate sojourner on this earth. And that's what our lives should look like as well. Our lives should be distinctly different in the things that we do um, in, the, in the way that we live. Now, I forgot to say this going through. I'm not saying, I'm not speaking here of a legalistic thing, like, like you've got to work, 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 and you never rest and all that. That's not at all what I'm saying. Like God gives us Sabbath and he gives us rest. It's not a comparison to how we're doing towards other people. It's, it's, uh, it's just the fact that we hold loosely to the things of this world and we know that the things of God's kingdom are the things that are eternal and that will never pass away.